are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Joker. Can you please stop bothering my kid? Sorry. Arthur, I have some bad news for you. This is the last time we'll be meeting. You don't listen, do you? You just ask the same questions every week. How's your job? Are you having any negative thoughts? All I have are negative thoughts. And finally, in a world where everyone thinks they can do my job, check out this guy. When I was a little boy and told people I was gonna be a comedian, everyone laughed at me. Well, no one's laughing now. You can say that again, pal. It's so awful, isn't it? For my whole life, I didn't know if I even really existed. But I do. And people are starting to notice. You think this is funny? Is this a joke to you? Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? Send in the All right, everyone, you were just listening to the trailer for Joker, and the story is as follows. Forever alone in a crowd, failed comedian Arthur Fleck seeks connection as he walks the streets of Gotham City. Arthur wears two masks, the one he paints for his day job as a clown and the guise he projects in a futile attempt to feel like he's part of the world around him, isolated, bullied, and disregarded by society. Fleck begins a slow descent into madness as he transforms into the criminal mastermind known as the Joker. The film is starring Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, Zazie Beetz, and Francis Conroy. It is written and directed by Todd Phillips, co-written by Scott Silver. Joining me for this podcast review, I have Cody Derricks. Hi. Katie Schaefer. Hello, hello. Lauren LaMagna. Hello, you smiling faces. <laughs> Danilo Castro. <laughs> hello, everybody. Dan Bayer. Why so serious? And Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Stacked, stacked, stacked lineup. Everybody wanted to talk about this one. And there is a lot to talk about, not just with uh, a lot of the anticipation and buildup for the movie that was shrouded in controversy. Um, there were comments that were said by the filmmakers in the lead up to this. It seems like every single element of this movie has had some sort of a media story built around it. Well, guess what? Opening weekend has come and gone. Thank God. Nothing horrible happened. And everyone has now seen Joker. Well, maybe there's some that are going to be holding off on a 
you know, for a bit, or just won't see it entirely uh, based on some of the mixed reactions that the film has received. It's very, very polarizing in many ways. And for that reason alone, if you're listening to this right now, we are going to give our overview of what we think of Joker, but we are going to avoid spoilers until the end of the podcast review. So this is a spoiler free zone until the end, at which point all bets are off and we'll get into uh, <laughs> we'll get into a lot. Let's let's just put it that way. So first and foremost, there's a lot of us here. I want to uh, just do this and as I, I want to create as much order as I possibly can amongst the chaos, <laughs> if possible. <laughs> so let's keep it short. Let's keep it brief. But at the same time, uh, let's also just be respectful of one another's opinions. As always, I will first start us off with Katie. What did you think of Joker? OK, so I thought a lot of things about this movie, Matt. There is a lot going on, both from an in- the perspective of what the filmmakers did and how the audiences took it. But I think the biggest thing that I came away from this with was intentionality in how much of this movie did Todd Phillips intend and how much just came through all on its own. And I think a lot of it was unintentional. The deeper commentary in this is very much what you can personally read into it. And I think everyone's going to have a different opinion depending on their own life perspective. So I'm excited to see what everybody else thought about it too. Yeah, that's definitely something that um, I know for myself, um, I was trying to go into this with an open mind as much as humanly possible. And when I walked out of it, I completely understand that this movie is something that you're either going to have a very intense love reaction to or an intense hate reaction to. And I don't think either side is wrong. No. I really, truly do not. There are certain things in life where somebody's like, oh, yeah, I hate the Godfather. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's what I mean. There's like a, you know, are you kidding me reaction? But with this, I think every single argument, every single interpretation is completely valid. So, Katie, thanks for starting us off on the right civil note. I appreciate you for that. <laughs> well, and I think the other one more thing about it is that it's yeah. totally legit in all of those criticisms. And so that's what makes it interesting to me. Outside of all the rest of it, how this is such an interpretable movie is what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too. I've been looking forward to this podcast review. I actually haven't been dreading it uh, simply because I think the discussion that it inspires, whether you like it or you or you don't, I I think the discussion is worthwhile. Um, So, yeah, we'll start off with that. Uh, Let's pass it over now to Dan Baer. Dan Baer, what do you think of Joker? Okay, so I was kind of dreading this movie honestly you you avoided it at tiff <laughs> uh yeah well <laughs> i was happy that the um premiere screening sold out before i was able to buy tickets i'll put it that way <laughs> um <laughs> because it premiered on my last night there um but <sighs> i i i am a huge fan of joaquin phoenix and at if anything else, if if nothing else, I was looking forward to seeing him in this, his performance in this, because he's always great and he certainly looked amazing in the trailers. And the character offers a lot of possibility. Um, at the same time, it it's hard to watch the trailers for this or think about this character in this current societal moment and not be a little scared about what um, the film is going to do and how people are going to react to it, which is 
then I think how people react to it is a whole other conversation from the actual merits of the film as a film. Um, it's certainly important, but it's not the only thing that's important. Um, so after all the raves from TIFF and the Golden Lion from Venice and the just general positive reactions from a lot of critics, I was a little more hopeful about it. Um, and I sort of went into it with with this mindset of like, please don't be what I'm afraid of. <laughs> um, and honestly, uh, after it was done, I was, I don't think it's bad, but there's a like, like nice little asterisk next to, you know, <laughs> well, I mean, there's one thing, the one thing is like sort of the critical, like why make this movie now? And that I don't want to touch at the moment, but I'll just say like it, the cinematography, editing, production design, sound performances, all great. I don't think this film has a single original idea in its head. It is nothing that we haven't seen before. And the, the, the cultural, critical, socio-political, whatever stuff is so fraught that I find myself really struggling with this movie, despite its well-crafted aspects. Okay. All right. Lauren, passing it over to you. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Joker? So I just want to let the listeners know that I have grown up with these characters. I have watched the animated Batman show that I've also watched, like animated X-Men shows. So me and my family love these characters. So when I thought that this movie was getting made, I was terrified because I was afraid that they were either going to do the character justice and then get backlash for it, or they weren't going to do the character justice because of our society today. So that was my big question about it. But um, as a movie itself, I really dug it. I thought that they really did represent who Joker was. And I thought from a perspective, from just the filmmaking aspect of it, it's a really solid film. And I got what I wanted out of a Joker movie. And it was really cool to see people get it. What's coming out of the movie and what people are saying about the movie, that's a whole different conversation. But I think from the movie as a whole, I got my Joker and I'm pretty happy about it. All right, cool. Cody, you're next. Okay, so I was a little worried going into the movie also. I didn't want to buy into all the controversy about, like, this will cause violence and all that, but it wasn't not on my mind, obviously. And after seeing the movie, I felt way better about no potential for any sort of bad thing happening as a result of this movie, um, directly or indirectly. But only because I thought so much of the ideology and the messaging and what the uh, the like political imagery the movie uses was so confused and nonspecific that there's no possible way anybody could grab any sort of actual meaning from anything in this movie. I thought I really couldn't put to words what the movie was even trying to say. And it wants to say something so badly. It really wants to be a film, which is admirable, but... I don't think it has the follow through in all the things it wants to accomplish. That being said, Joaquin Phoenix is unbelievable in this. I, even in a movie that I kind of overall didn't like, he is a reason to see it. He really bumps the movie up a few notches for me. So that's, what I've been telling people when they ask what I thought I say, didn't really enjoy the movie, but if you are a fan of seeing really great character work from a masterful performer, definitely check it out. Okay. All right. 
Danilo? Um, politically, I didn't think too much one way or the other going in. I thought the trailer, if I'm taking it on the basis of how the film looked, um, had my attention. And I think to Cody's point about it not having a real strong political ideology going in, for me, I took the film as more of an expression of just kind of rage and angst, kind of blind, not knowing what to do with it. Um, I think the fact that it is sort of muddled in that way is um, sort of speaks to the main character's perspective. And for me, what I got out of it was a very a very indebted film, but also a very uh, emotionally impactful film. I didn't think it did anything that was groundbreaking, but I thought in its execution between the direction, which surprised me because uh, Todd Phillips was kind of my question mark going in, whether as to he could pull it off or not. But um, stylistically and in terms of Phoenix's performance, which is what everybody's already kind of complimented, I think the film was really effective at expressing that confusion and that angst so from that perspective kind of going into it as a as a neo-noir-esque take on the character i thought it was really effective all right and now we come to josh parham Mm. um well going into this movie i had similar kind of trepidations as a lot of other people did not really so much for the political aspects of it, but really just because I don't like Todd Phillips as a filmmaker. I've never really liked his movies. And that was really the thing that was the biggest roadblock for me for making me want to get excited about this. He also didn't help himself in the days leading up to it. (laughs) No, his comments certainly didn't help my anticipation, but I really wasn't there from the beginning. But I walk into every movie hoping to love it. I love to be surprised by a film that I'm not expecting to really like. And I went in with a very open mind to this film. Considering also the day before I told you, Josh, you're going to hate it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Matt, your premonition came true. Uh, Yeah, I, I really, really do not like this movie. And I will say that I get why people would really enjoy it. And I get that there is craft on display that is impressive. I don't know if I would sing the praises of that crap as much as other people would, including Joaquin Phoenix, to be honest with you. I think Phoenix is good in this movie, but I think he has delivered much better performances in other films in similar modes to this performance as well. Uh, I think he's good, but I would not say that it's the best that I've ever seen Joaquin Phoenix. And really, at the end of the day, as people have already kind of said about this movie, what I find the most Uh, the thing that I really hate the most about this film is that it has really nothing to say. It feels so empty and hollow and uninteresting in all of these themes that it wants to bring up. And to me, that is the most uninteresting thing about the film. And that's what I find the most damning element about it. There is craft on display, but it's all servicing so many different ideas that it wants to bring up, but never explores any of them sufficiently. And that was so incredibly infuriating to me as I was watching the film. So, yeah, I I hate it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> don't be sorry. Yeah, don't be sorry. Be sorry. Absolutely stuff. not. Um, I like you said, like like a bunch of us have said already. Um, I think that everyone's mileage will vary a little bit on this film, um, precisely because you know I'll give I'll give an example. I do agree that the film is very muddy in terms of what it wants to say and 
how one wants to interpret like does the movie have a message does it not have a message is it telling its message well is it not telling it well I literally think every single interpretation is completely 100% valid because something that I do believe that they did do intentionally is they took the line from The Dark Knight that Heath Ledger says, um, I'm like a dog chasing cars. I wouldn't know what to do with one if I caught it. You know, I just do things. This is a guy who has no political aspirations, no concrete motivation that you know one can definitively say this is why he's doing what he's doing he has no ideology whatsoever and i think the film does match that and there is a layer of interpretation then that like i don't and there's so many of us i don't remember who said it but depending on what your viewpoint of the world is and how you want to uh tie this movie into our current modern times uh you can either choose to think that it's holding a lens up to the world or you can think that the lens that it's holding up is completely dirty and messed up and is not accurate whatsoever and hell this movie just completely botched it all around and as a kind of a tie-in uh so that we can have like a free-form discussion i kind of want to break this into like a segment i want to start us off by talking about Todd Phillips as a writer and Todd Phillips as a director with this movie, because I think that's where we can talk about things that we feel it got right versus what we feel it got wrong, both in the writing and the directing side of things. So let's start off with that. The writing's bad. Totally. By far the worst aspect of the film. I, I agree. It is, the, it is the weakest aspect of the film, for sure. From plot to like strip script construction to dialogue. uh yeah it's it's just very poorly done it is falling down with a joker with a comic book glaze over it pretty much i mean when when god when maybe the best line in the movie is you get what you fucking deserve and there's and and yet still i have like this icky feeling about that line still um it feels uncomfortable to even say it out loud, but there is a uh, power behind like that line that I, I I kept thinking to myself over and over while watching this. This feels like the kind of movie that is going to appeal so much to um, the angsty, you know, teenage young man that like grew up liking I don't know something like Fight Club, for example. You know what I mean? Um, but even then, it just feels very. It, it feels very pedestrian and is working off of other movies in the past that have done this stuff better. Yes. And the thing with um, looking for uh, a group that would possibly see this and really identify with the character, this really is kind of like a film version, a real a realized version of what some people really think the world is like to them, mm -hmm. where it's specifically out to get you in every turn. And in this movie, it is in a way that's <laughs> unrealistic. Now, I know realism, a comic book movie, whatever, but this movie wants so badly to barely be a comic book movie that I can, uh, I think I, we are fair in applying it to the real world. Agreed. Absolutely. And the thing that really... I guess bothered me if you can say that is that it there's uh, I, like I said earlier there's there's not a single original idea in this movie's head whatsoever but even worse than that is that the ones it does have are like they're pretty irresponsible in the current 
cultural moment. I mean, that's just how it is. Well, well, I think that goes into one thing and one thing only. Do you feel that the movie is glorifying and hero worshiping the character, or do you feel that um, there is a level of sympathy in the beginning, and then the movie gets to a point where did you recognize that you were not supposed to have sympathy for this guy after a certain point? As far as the character work actually goes, um, I think that there it there is a point where there's you know that breaking point with oh, he's he's gone and this is a sad thing. But and this may get a little into spoiler territory, so I don't want to um, deal with this too much. <laughs> but the very end of the movie. It, we know where this character is going. And I kept trying to think of, like, how would I feel about this movie if it wasn't the Joker, if it wasn't this character, you know, if it wasn't a superhero movie. Oh, if say. it wasn't, I would hate it. <laughs> I, want, I, I want to be very well, clear about that. Well, no, here's my thing. I think that if it wasn't a superhero movie, it might actually play better than it does. Really? Because we know where this character is going. We know where it ends up. And there is a level of hero worship with this character because we know him and love him from previous iterations. He's a, you know, sort of bad guy that you love to hate. But oh, the ending you the of this nail movie, on the head, Dan. Yeah, but the ending of this movie treats him in every single way, you know, in terms of you know, the editing, the score, the how it treats him, it treats it as a triumphant moment. It does. It plays Well, it is the- for him. The moment when he leaves to go and start his when he's all dressed up and it's that the beginning of the end, it yeah. plays a triumphant song as he is leaving his apartment and going down those stairs. Like that and, is a moment of triumph for him. Well, but not that much so much. I'm talking about like the very end. Oh, yeah. Also, the yeah, last, it's a good moment. Shot is a hero shot. It is. And the the um the the score especially does nothing to dissuade anyone of the fact that this is a triumphant moment. My other big issue with this film and as was my big issue with um, the Nolan Batman trilogy, which I hate as much as everyone else loves um, is that the, the people of Gotham city are such ciphers. It is impossible to know what they're, what they think or do about like anything and they they're not developed and they're a such an important part of the last sequence of this film and they're really an important part of the the whole of the movie actually but there's no context for them as a whole and they don't have any sort of identity well if if i if i may i think with every iteration that we've ever seen of gotham city depicted on film i think that the city um and its citizens has always changed uh depending on the current uh societal and political landscape that we find ourselves living in in the real world and that's true what i will say this is not spoiler territory but what i like about this version a lot was that it answered something i didn't even know i ever wanted an answer to necessarily which is why does the Joker have so many henchmen who follow his every word and try to attack Batman and fail endlessly? <laughs> and this movie gave me a compelling reason to believe why people would follow this guy as a leader. And I I, I will admit that um, it's... I don't want to say it's dangerous because I, 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 I agree with Cody in the sense that I walked out of this movie like thinking, uh, yeah, that was a little, that was a little overhyped, I think. 
Um, because also, too, I, I don't believe that even though the characters in this movie, the citizens of Gotham, or at least these particular citizens, might be worshipping him as um, an anarchist and a bringer of change and so on and so forth, which leads into his reign as a criminal mastermind for the whole city. I do not believe that the movie itself and we as an audience are supposed to feel the same way. I think that's questionable. Mm-hmm. That's fair. That's totally cool. <laughs> I think, and that's mm-hmm. when I was talking about intentionality, like if you go back to directing style and the the script and stuff. So with Fight Club in particular, Fight Club is very much supposed to be an interrogation of toxic masculinity. Yeah. It is not supposed to inspire people. And people totally read into it what they wanted to. But if you watch the movie with a critical eye, that's obvious. Because what are those people doing? But in this, I think it doesn't strike the line hard enough to show that. I think it is far too middle of the road, like with that last scene and with how sympathetic it makes this guy. Because it really, really pushes the idea that he is a sympathetic, understandable person. In the first act, I think so. Yeah. I I really, really, truly believe that once he does something of his own free will and not in self-defense, I'm not talking about that scene. I'm talking about something that he knowingly makes a choice to do and he basks in the sunlight of the moment after he does it. That is the point of no return. That is where this guy loses all sympathy. That is where he also dones the makeup and finally starts to embrace his true self because I think the movie wants us to believe that whatever this new version of Arthur Fleck is, um, it's better than whatever he's been dealing with prior to that. Um, Obviously, we as an audience know that this is awful. At least I hope. Um, And I I, I just don't know. I don't know. I think it is open to interpretation, like you were saying, um, in terms of what the film's intention is. But I chose to believe that that was not a heroic moment um, but God damn it! Then the movie does this thing with the stairs and the dancing and the do do da do 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 do. Oh, that <laughs> was so. And I'm like, why are you doing this? I like that music here now. That's the moment I was saying where it's like it becomes a moment of triumph for him, and like that was the moment where I was like, because I agree with you, Matt. It takes this turn where it is where he becomes objectionable, in particular with his relationship with um the woman in the film, but and his mother. Mm-hmm. But once it hits that point, it's like it takes a turn back. And it's like, oh, but I was just kidding. Now we're at the Joker and now we can enjoy this character on the comic book level. And so it's, well, you can't play both. You want to be super realistic, Todd Phillips, and you want to embrace the outsized nature of who the Joker is. Because those two things do not tell the same message. And that's what I mean about it being confused in its ideology and its views. Which is fine if you're making that type of movie, but I don't think that's intentional. I really think they are not... Yeah, quite sure if they want to frame him as the hero of the story, or this is a cautionary tale or something. Because the movie doesn't stay in his perspective the entire time. So if we were seeing it really just his worldview rather than an outside source, then I would say maybe this is just, you know, a journey into a fractured mind, but it doesn't. Let me ask you this question, because I was thinking about this a lot. Um, I was trying because obviously the taxi driver influence is 
so apparent. It might as well be the same movie mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And King of Comedy. Yeah, and there, well, yeah, there's influences of King of Comedy as well. I would say more so Taxi Driver, especially because of the ending. Um, and I guess what what I want to know, and this was something that I, I'm just very, very curious about, is why do we on the whole, not saying everybody, but why do we on the whole celebrate Taxi Driver and this movie pretty much does a carbon copy of the ending of Taxi Driver, and we're all very mixed on this one. Because Taxi Driver very is glad talking, you asked that, Matt. <laughs> because Taxi Driver is talking about the duality of humanity. This and is not. In Taxi yeah. Driver, Travis Bickle thinks he's the hero of the story, and the movie does everything to show that he may think he's the hero, and we live in his perspective most of the time. And like even down to the noir film soundtrack, so he truly thinks he is like out to save the world in like a detective sort of way. Right. But the things he does, it has a scary ending, whereas this has a vaguely yes. triumphant ending. And that but makes at the end of Taxi Driver, but I was going to say, can you interpret it both ways, though? I, I think possibly, but I think the, that Taxi Driver is way more interested in specific ambiguity. This has a weird uh, viewpoint and ending that is not that that is weird because the rest of the movie is non-specific, probably not intentionally. I, it's like I said before, like if this was not about Joker, I think that the film would have had the license to treat the ending more like the ending of Taxi Driver, but it doesn't and it's not so it it just doesn't work i don't know i i I hear what you guys are saying in regards to that i've always imagined the ending of taxi driver i've never looked at the ending as taxi driver as literal um i've always looked at it as it has dual meaning and i can interpret this as you know travis bickle is either dead and this is a vision of how he had hoped things played out or he survived and this is how things really played out And I think both endings do work. And I do think that there is a level to that with Joker because he is an unreliable narrator um, precisely because of his uh, fractured mental state uh, throughout the film stemming from uh, child abuse. And I I, I don't think it's I don't think it's that binary. I don't. I I agree. uh, I I don't think it's binary, but I would argue that I think this movie throughout the film does carry a perspective that you are at least supposed to see things triumphant from his point of view. Right. I don't think the movie ever does stray away from that. And I think what it offers up to the audience is whether or not you will sympathize with that. I do think that the movie is at least working with that basic thesis. The problem is that all of its uh, supporting arguments to go into discussing that thesis is completely devoid of anything interesting. It throws so much at you where it's like, is it society's treatment of the mentally ill? Is it how we treat you know, the lower class compared to the upper class? Is it uh, celebrity worship? And it has Violence these, as a default reaction or something. Yeah, uh, just has all of these things that it throws at you, but then it doesn't mm-hmm. really answer any of them. It doesn't go into any specifics on anything that it wants to talk about. And that when you combine it with this really off-putting character at the center of it that doesn't seem to want to dive into any of those themes, that's what is so frustrating to watch for me. It's like, it's like though as if um, they 
they wanted to tell an origin story of a character who historically has no origin story. He's a complete enigma. And that is the appeal of the Joker character is that he is mysterious. Like one of the best things about Heath Ledger's performance in The Dark Knight is when he tells the story about how he got the scars and he tells different versions of the story. And we don't really know which one is true. And this guy is just a complete cipher. This movie wants to have it both ways where they mm-hmm. want to give context and understanding. I don't think the movie asks for sympathy, um, but it needs to portray him in a sort of light that it does bring about this change that will forever shape Gotham and its citizens and create the world that would lead into, you know, the rise of Batman and so on and so forth. So, like, on that level within the story, I understand the sympathetic angle that the character is uh, being treated with. But I, I want to believe that as an audience, uh, we should know the difference. And I I, I want to yeah. believe that wholeheartedly, <laughs> you know? But we can't know like- the difference if the film... If the film is so muddled about it. And that's the problem, right? That's what I mean when they say they want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to give us an origin story. They want to give us context. But, oh, we want to keep it vague and ambiguous enough that we're going to – guys, I hate to break it to you all. This movie is never going away, I don't think, in the histories of of film. (laughs) We're going to be debating Joker, I think, for decades probably. Um, I kind of hate to say it like that, but it's just the nature of the movie in that regard. Well, and there is an origin story for the Joker that that was published in 1988 and it was written by Alan Moore and it is, it is Cadden. That is the Joker's origin. And this story is, I don't know, about 1% (laughs) based on it. Yeah. the Killing Joke is an incredibly controversial and problematic story mm-hmm. that Alan Moore, the writer of it, who, for those who don't know, Alan Moore is one of the top tier of comic book writers. And he has said, I probably shouldn't have written this because of how how much people identified with it in the same way that Stephen King wrote a book about or a short story about a shooting, a, a school shooting. Yeah. And he has since taken it off the market because he feels like that was not a good choice. And so I think this film also gets into that territory that the killing joke falls into. And it feels like Todd Phillips kind of took all of the bad parts of that story in the tone and the intention behind it and then interpreted it very poorly. Which is why I was originally scared for a Joker origin story, because I don't like knowing the backstory of him. Like, I've seen The Killing Joke, I know what The Killing Joke is, but the whole cool thing about him is that, again, he is the enigma. So seeing where he started and to see the evolution of him losing it and people just being, you know, dicks to him and people just not caring about him and seeing the little, like, knocks in the coffin, really, to see him get to where he is, that did scare me and I was afraid of how society will take it because it's a dark, horrible story. But I do agree with Matt that I, you see the sympathizing in Act One, but as soon as he starts going towards and as soon as he starts making those active decisions to do what he wants to and to do what puts him in a better position and gives him power, which is what he likes and that what fuels him and what sees people not acting like how they're supposed to, which is what the Joker likes. He likes playing that game with people. Once he starts making those decisions... I don't feel sympathy for him. I do see this character going towards that realm. And again, as a fan of the character, I enjoyed seeing those moments, even though I wasn't physically sympathizing with him, seeing him 
go down that stair that staircase because again I know the character knowing where the character is going I love seeing that evolution it reminded me so much of uh, Tobey Maguire dancing in Spider-Man 3 at times. I, I couldn't help but laugh. <laughs> Have you guys seen that gif where they put them both together? It's amazing. Um, you know, going back to uh, the original thing I was saying before about Todd Phillips's direction and his writing here, we've talked a lot about the writing. It's extremely problematic. Um, there are some other aspects of it from a spoiler perspective we'll get into uh, towards the end here. From a directing standpoint, I cannot deny that the technical craftsmanship of this movie is really really good um i will admit that the the worst part of the movie for me personally actually though and maybe just in terms of a pacing standpoint is probably the first act because this movie is so so depressingly bleak and has absolutely no shed of like light or humor whatsoever that that first act um really 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 bogged me down uh tremendously and just in terms of just the sheer darkness of it all um that yes when he does start to become more of you know the iconic joker character and stuff i don't want to say that's when the movie like starts to bring about a sense of like fun but it was nice to you know put some more um dynamic sequences in the movie that it just wasn't like society and everybody just shitting all over this guy um because man like that was really really rough to get through but cinematography production design score I, you know, I, I think from a directorial standpoint, um, this is I can make an argument that this is Todd Phillips's best directed movie, at least. It's his most directed movie for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I actually liked the first act when it was a really interesting character study, um, especially because Joaquin Phoenix is so goddamn great. Yeah. <laughs> like just like the first um scene after the title screen when he's in the psychiatrist's office and just uncontrollably laughing even though it's clear he does not want to be or feeling like something is funny is so good. That's a great storytelling choice by the way to make the laugh a <laughs> chronic quote unquote like condition that yeah because honestly yeah. i think there's a level of interpretation with that too wow i've very no, much Sam, and i've that. never no i loved and i don't know if that's ever been used in a joker story if that laugh was actually a chronic thing i don't remember that being used so that's kind of cool seeing that twist on the laugh that like he just actually can't help it but I yeah it, does... like it. it sets him apart earlier on but there is a part of me though that wondered like maybe it's not. Exactly. Maybe it really isn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. I never oh. wondered that at all, actually. There, there are other things in the movie that that the film did cause me to question, but that was never one of them. Okay. Ooh, I have thoughts on that in the spoiler section. Okay. Wait. <laughs> all right. <laughs> to be honest, though, I have to say that mo- that element of the laugh not being something that he can control, to be honest with you, I actually really hated that. And I thought that that was something that was one of those things that they tried to provide an answer to this character that I really didn't need. Like, I don't need a psychological reason as to why the Joker has to uncontrollably laugh all the time. I thought that was such an unnecessary element that later down the line only kind of clowns it up even more because you think, well, is it really something physical or is it like mental because of trauma? But because the movie then never goes into it. It just feels so unnecessary. And I didn't understand why we needed to have like an actual reason 
for the Joker to laugh. Like he should just be a character that just laughs at, at terrible situations because he just wants to. I, right, I because know. we already have him as a clown, so that takes care of the clown aspect of his alter ego. We don't also need the laugh. I I didn't not like it as much as you, Josh, but now that you're saying that, I'm like, oh yeah, it wasn't really. It felt <laughs> it like a like, shit to me. I will say what it did <laughs> it, do was I definitely think it helped with the sympathy aspect because you could tell that Joaquin is fighting against it every time it happens. Like he doesn't want it to happen. He looks like he's in severe pain. Um, yeah. when it's happening. So I think that mm-hmm. aids in the first act sympathy uh, portion of things. It reminded me a lot, for those that have watched Breaking Bad, it reminded me so much of Walter White's like chronic coughing that he does. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, you know, th- there are a lot of... Um, there's a lot of stuff, I think, you know, like I was saying before, just from a pure craft uh, standpoint, even though I, I, I fully, fully admit that this movie is working off the back of other established films and themes that we have seen before. And I think the criticism that this movie doesn't have anything original to say is very valid because we have seen it said before. It's just literally retelling like the same story beats um, in 2019. And then the question of, oh, is it necessary and so on and so forth. Um, You know, I don't think there is a yes or no answer to that. Um, At the end of the day, it's like, you know, you want to tell a story, tell a story. And once you let it out into the world, it's totally, totally anyone's game as far as how we want to interpret it. What the filmmakers should not do is they should not uh, backpedal on the movie's uh, intentions and give answers, I don't think. Because, like, you guys remember when Darren Aronofsky, like, explained Mother after it released? (laughs) Dude, once you release it into the world, it's it's ours. It's not yours anymore. And we can interpret it however we want, you know? It's a Ray Bradbury situation. You guys have read, or for those of you who've read Fahrenheit 451, Mm -hmm. Ray Bradbury, when he was asked about it years later, well, so what? why did you decide to write a movie about censorship? And Bradbury is like, this movie, it's not about censorship. This book is about the perils of TV. And everyone was like, what? this book is about censorship. What the hell are you talking yeah. about? And he maintained that it is not. That is not his intention with writing the story. It, and that, so I call it the Bradbury effect whenever I see screenwriters. I love it, Katie. Like this. Love it. And, I'm, and that's my shorthand, especially with my husband. And he was, so I told him that when I came home, I was like, I think we got a real Bradbury situation with Todd Phillips here <laughs> because he's just, it's like, no, just keep quiet, especially with this kind of film. Like, this is such a person, like Mother, this is a film that is all about how you interpret it. And that he didn't see that is I think the most problematic part of the whole thing. It's like, did you have an intention? Because if you did, you were bad at telling it to everyone. I think he absolutely had an intention and I cannot get into it until we talk spoilers. Yeah, yeah, that's true. All right, something that I really like about this movie, I really, really, really love uh, the score by Hildur. Uh, I'm gonna say this wrong, so just bear with me. Uh, uh, by Hildur... Oh, uh, Guiana Dotor. Uh, all right. But Hildur, all right, we'll just say that. She, she's done uh, the music for Chernobyl, uh, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, and she is a uh, classically trained uh, cellist. And I, 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 I got to say, like, I genuinely loved the melancholy, haunting aspect of the score with this film. And I've listened to it on its own since I've watched the movie. Um, 
I definitely think there was a bit of influence in terms of Hans Zimmer's uh, score for Heath Ledger's character in The Dark Knight, you know, because they're using, uh, you know, string instruments. So there's a bit of that there. Um, but I, I don't know. The mood that it created for this film, I thought, was very, very powerful at times. It's the best thing about the movie, I would say. I, I do really like the score. I don't know if it's my favorite score of the year so far. It might be the second one uh, for me. I do like The Last Black Man in San Francisco. I think that's yeah, number one. Yeah, it's a good one. score. But I do think that the music here doesn't always fit what's going on in the film, I have to say. But just looking at it as a piece on its own, just as its own musical um, uh, a musical piece throughout the film, I do think that it is effective in that regard. So I will sing the praises for that one element. <laughs> the music cues, though, uh, like the actual song cues, I was not a fan of those. Yeah, less so. Ugh. Oh, yeah. The needle yeah. drops so. are bad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I that's like life, guys. You know, life's really bad. Let's so, let's do that Sinatra song that hasn't been done before already. <laughs> <sighs> and and that's where I think uh, Todd Phillips' direction here, um, you know, it, it's in little things like that, uh, that it really... Uh, I don't know. I, I'm almost like tempted to say that uh, it's the other elements like Lawrence uh, Schur, who's a cinematographer on this. Like, I, I'm almost like tempted to say that it's his work that I'm praising even more so than Todd Phillips's visual idea for the whole movie, probably. Because oh, yeah. yeah. It, it seems like the more I think about it, the more I'm like everything that I feel like Todd Phillips has control over in terms of all of the other individual elements coming together for it to formulate a, such a divisive mixed reaction such as this. I don't know if I can chalk that up to good direction then, if that's the case. It feels like it's better because it's a, of the sum of its parts with all the people's contributions. And he just yes. got lucky by getting a bunch of really great people to work with. Yeah. Because especially, I have to mention this, the comedy scenes. and all There's of the comedy in this? Oh, 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 the stand-up scenes. No, they're not funny. <laughs> None of them are funny. And they all ring of Todd Phillips's comedic stylings. Yeah. And it all just like falls flat so much that it falls through the floor. <laughs> Did you guys notice that um, one one uh, one thing? I, and listen, I, I get it. It's a little pedestrian, but it's something that I just noticed in the movie. Um, when he gets up on stage to do stand-up comedy, um, the spotlight and how much it just shines over him that it like kind of covers the rest of the audience. He can't really see out into the crowd. But just like that symbol of the light, uh, that ties into, I think, the final shot in the movie – um, the moment in the hospital uh, with him in the movie. And um, I think there's another moment in the movie too, but I did notice that there were moments where, and I don't know yet what to read into it necessarily, but uh, I, I think that there are these moments where he's at his happiest, probably, where I've noticed that like light was really shining on him. Mm -hmm. Did anyone else get that? Yeah, and also in the comedy mm -hmm. club, like when he's mm -hmm. taking notes on like how to be a good stand-up, He's laughing on the downbeat, so everyone will oh, laugh. God. And then he'll laugh when there isn't a joke. So that's and that's not even like his condition, really. That's just his sense of humor. So to seeing that, I don't know if that's like, you know, I bet it's all Joaquin. But I bet, but a scene that is just really interesting to me, like that's what he finds funny. That's how unstable or a little off he is. So that's a really cool way to get into the character. It's like an innocent, like that's just what he finds funny is people setting up the joke. Not I also kind of itself. I also kind of read that as he's not sure um, when to laugh, so he's like just copying everybody around him. That's what I interpreted <laughs> yeah. as too. Yeah. yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. me too. I, there's there's the moment in the film where he you know tells his mom that he's working on stand up comedy. She's like, but but don't you have to be funny? <laughs> yeah, that's fucking that. savage. And, and then, <laughs> like, burn, mom. Yeah. Right, but like, all, but that's what I loved about the scene in the comedy club is like he's really trying to figure out what makes something funny, and like if you look at his notes, he really doesn't get it. Like <laughs> jokes about sex are always funny, right? And stuff like that, and it's like, oh. I just hope my death makes oh. more sense than my life. Sense oh. spelled C E N T S. Oh, that was so painful. The scene where he's laughing and is unable to get that first joke out is oh, deeply uncomfortable. Oh my god, oh. that was. I look at the screen. That, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I think that's the point of it. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Uh, in that regard, I think, like I said, there were moments in this movie where this movie wanted me to feel a certain way at times, um, not ambiguously, and I think that that's one particular moment where, like, I I got it. Like that was painful. Yeah. I really, like up until the third act. This is one of the most riveting movies of the year for me. Like it, he, watching it's a very like a lot of the plot points are very carefully set up to knock them down in a specific way and watch that domino effect, and it's done really well, and especially through Joaquin's performance, I think. I, um, I totally agree. Uh, but it, and then like I don't think the third act completely ruins the movie because I think the level of filmmaking is stays pretty consistent throughout. But it definitely makes me have a lot of second, third, fourth, and fifth thoughts. Let's transition over to performances. Uh, let's start off with, of course, Mr. Joaquin Phoenix. I have thought about this a lot, and. I think if I was doing any kind of a quote unquote like ranking system of any kind, um, I would say that his performance here as Joker is for me uh, third best behind Master and her. And I think in many ways, uh, the Joker performance is a combination of aspects from both of those performances in terms of the unpredictable physicality of his performance in The Master, but also with that uh, tragic vulnerability. Um, that he brought to her. And, you know, obviously there's other unique elements thrown in, the uncontrollable laughter. Um, there are moments, though, where he's just, like, kind of just sitting there. Um, like, for example, when he's practicing uh, what he's going to say on uh, Murray's uh, show, and he's just sitting on the couch, and the, it's silent, there's no dialogue, and the camera's just watching him, and you just never know what Joaquin is going to do at any moment. Uh, with his performance, and I just found that to be so exciting to watch at times. That was the marvel of the performance for me, because especially he is seemingly working against a screenplay which has no interest in nuance or variety, and he manages mm -hmm. to find that. I mean, even just the frickin' half dozen slow motion dancing scenes that, like, I don't know what the hell was going oh, yes. on there, oh, but God. every single one was different. He really found something different in every single moment. Yeah, he is the best part of this whole film for me. And so he great. is the only thing that brings nuance to the film. I think if he hadn't been the Joker or someone else of that caliber, this movie wouldn't have worked at all for anyone. It, <laughs> it reminded it me of his been... performance a little bit in um, You Were Never Really Here. In terms yes. of the, the discomfort. It does, yeah. Yes. Um, I prefer that film to this film, but I still think a lot of the elements that made that character so unique are here. Uh, I like the scene where he's 
he's like dancing and like pretending to talk to someone. It's it's so uh, it's so uh, it's such a thing that you would not see someone do. You know, it's something you would do while you're alone. Um, there's lots of little bits like that. He goes places that are really kind of unnerving, but but feel real in a, in a twisted sort of way. Yeah, he's so vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with everybody that Joaquin Phoenix is really good in the film. And that's just a given because he's Joaquin Phoenix. He's always going to be great. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. but, but I do think that as I was watching it, there was something about it that didn't really pull me into thinking like this is an amazing Joaquin Phoenix performance and like one of the top that he's ever done. And I really tried to figure out why that was for me when he, there are sort of similar performances he has given as the one in this film. And I have really liked them. And I think that the reason why I wasn't quite as taken with it is because I think Joaquin Phoenix and a lot of the characters that he plays also kind of need somebody else to bounce off of to provide that performance with a context of the world that he's in. Like, if you think of The Master, I think that performance works so well because he is going off against Philip Seymour Hoffman. In her, he's got, um, you know, the conversations that he has with the Scarlett Johansson role. There's some other character there that I think helps to flavor what he's doing. And it's just sort of unadulterated here. There is nobody else that he could connect to, which is the point. But I, I think for some reason, it just feels a little too much for me with this film. He's good, but I don't really get a sense of wanting to kind of dive headfirst into, I guess, appreciating everything he's doing because there's nothing to really... I don't know, to contextualize that performance for me to really get more out of it, if that makes any sense. Totally. I was going to save this for when we talked about the awards prospects, but um, it reminds me a lot of Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in The Revenant in that it just... I know how I feel about that. (laughs) But but what I mean by that is it is just so much. It's it's so much. (laughs) It's it's a lot. It's just him. It's capital A acting. And it and is, and yeah. it's literally like I don't want to say it's begging for, you know, the Academy to give him an Oscar. I don't think that's what he's, you know, obviously doing here. I think Joaquin takes his craft very, very seriously for obvious reasons. But this is like the kind of performance that uh, you know, in terms of things like that we've seen them do in terms of rewarding like Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour or Leonardo DiCaprio for the Revenant. Like this is just a lot of performance. Mm-hmm. And in that regard, I... It's possible. It's, I'm just saying it's possible, exactly. Because uh, it pummels you into submission, practically. It, it pretty much, like, begs you to reward it with how, yeah, much, he, with how much it has. Yeah, and I think part of the reason that... I, I agree with everyone that it, there's nothing here for him to react to. It's all him having to do all of the reactions all the time. Ugh. And I wonder if part of that is because of how the movie is not going... For the same things that he is and like the movie isn't the same caliber as Joaquin Phoenix and that oh, that's really yeah. but what movie him. is <laughs> I mean the master the, the master, master. Yeah. Really good. I will say though that in terms of other performances like in the movie um, I was very very disappointed uh, with pretty much almost everyone across the board um, yeah. I was disappointed that De Niro's presence, um, although it lends the film a degree of credibility because he's just in the movie. Um, and it's like he doesn't do anything great and he doesn't do anything bad. Um, like he's not going to get a Razzie nomination for supporting actor or something like that. But he's just playing De Niro. It, he's just there. Yeah. Exactly. He's just there. And Zazie Beats literally is 
just there. I felt so sorry for her, honestly. What this movie does with her character, it it asks her to do something that is almost impossible. I was very, very disappointed. So I can't even begin to tell you guys, because honestly, after the splash that she made uh, on... Uh, Deadpool and also with um, oh my god, the sh- Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm very, very excited for her career and I just mm, not happy about her, that. It's not her fault in this film, but she is saddled with an atrocious character. Yeah, yep. what character? I hated that part of this the most. Beyond anything else, that aspect of it, I was just like, fuck you, Todd Phillips. Yeah, <laughs> No, if there's anything that didn't need to be in the movie, I would say it would be that. Yep. I, I completely I completely agree. Completely. And, and listen, <laughs> that's compared to uh, some of the Wayne stuff in the movie that I was like, oh, I could, t- could take it or leave it. But this, I was like, no, this, this could easily go. Francis Conroy is probably, I would say, second best in show to Joaquin in, next, in this style. Yeah, she's really yeah. good. She's always great, though. She's another she one is, that yeah. whenever she pops up, it's like, okay, the rest of this can be terrible, but she will at least buy into whatever performance she's giving. She's always great. Yep. And she has an actual character. So that yes. helps. She has. She's so good at playing delicate. But this movie also mm-hmm. needed, uh, in my mind, I, I'm i not going to lie. You, you know, you have Bill Camp and Shay uh, Wiggum playing oh, uh, two cops. That up. <laughs> Those are two really good actors. Why couldn't we get like just a little bit more of them? Uh, just maybe, I don't know, say something like in the police station investigating uh, this guy or something. I don't know. Yeah, especially the- Bill Camp because, you know, I'm a huge yeah. fan. And we love Bill. You, you cannot put him in a movie and then not do anything with him. I'm sorry. No. That's like an offensive thing to do to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he even, I he even did. He did more in um, Midnight Special in a very similar kind of a role. <laughs> To a certain extent. He did more in a movie this year, The Kitchen. Yeah. He's great in The Kitchen. So I wanted more with them. I wanted uh, more with Brian Tyree Henry, who literally could be just chalked up to a one-scene cameo. Oh, my God. And if Beale Street could talk, this is not, <laughs> in terms of one-scene cameos. Right? So oh. good in that one damn scene. <laughs> uh, Mark Marin popped up at one point, and my audience laughed. Did you guys uh, notice that? I yeah. did. I saw him pop up, and then when he did, I did have the thought of, oh, yeah, that's right. Mark Maron was in this movie. Yeah. That's yeah. What, that was my exact reaction as well. Yeah, I was like, what are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the other thing, too, like, just in general, what did we think about, you know, like, Brett Cullen as, like, Thomas Wayne and just this very unflattering image of that character that is unlike uh, we've seen other depictions of before? That ties in further to the, like, questionable interpretation of the movie, first, because it's yeah. the first time we've seen a Wayne be an asshole. So you're like, I guess maybe, like, uh, this Joker character is right and not, you know, liking him as much as his mother. I was just saying, I don't think he's completely um, detestable. I think he I think he, he's shown as more flawed than we've seen because we always see Thomas Wayne as this saintly figure. But I think they just they they make him a little a little grimier with a little more faults but i don't think he was uh, outright villainous well I, I think the moment where uh for me it lost me um and I, not a spoiler cuz i'm not going to get into the reasons why but there's a moment where he punches uh offer in the face and i'm just like oh that's a that's a little much I, you know th- did you really have to do that you yeah. could you could have just had him walk away you know at, well yeah but but, but he punches him a, yeah he punches him after and, the and then he says you know well, he, he punches him after he's laughing, but then he also mentions about, hey, don't go near my kid again. Like, yeah. And maybe right. he and would what feel that he'd done before to do that. that. 
Okay. It's yeah. pretty justified. But I, I think that they're using that, obviously, to touch upon uh, another idea in the movie that I think this idea might be explored the best out of all the uh, various ideas the movie wants to explore, and that is definitely the uh, the class divide aspect of the movie. Um, I, I think in terms of like all the different ideas of mental illness, um, hero vigilante worship and so on and so forth. I do think, uh, the differentiations between class and especially as that applies to Gotham city and how it gave rise to the origin of this character. I did like that aspect of the story. Um, and I thought that that was a really, really good way to tie in, um, how, no one is inherently evil. It is uh, the society around them that makes them who they are, ultimately. Um, at least, you know. But that's about all it has to say about the class divide. Like, it presents yeah. this world as, like, it's, you know, it's really terrible, and there's the haves and the have-nots, but it doesn't go into the real dynamics of this world. And by the time we get to this very big explosion of tension at the end of it, it just feels like the movie did no work at all to establish the steps that it took to get there. And that was very frustrating to me. There's also an element to that, that it talks about class, but it also doesn't go into race at all. And I think there's some very iffy racial stuff that happens in this movie. Oh yeah. And that was another thing that Mm -hmm. completely turned me off from this film. There's that. And then uh, going back to the screenplay woes, once again, there's also the film's treatment of women in this movie that I was very, very upset by once again. And women of color, especially. Zazie beats his character. Um, We'll we'll get into that in a second here. Um, What I want to do, we talked about technical aspects. We talked about the writing. We talked about the directing. We talked about the performances without getting into spoilers is there anything else that you guys want to touch on before we get into more specific stuff about the story i just want to say i can already see the comments of people saying don't take it so seriously it's a comic book movie but the movie wants so badly to say something so we have to look at the movie not be a comic book movie right we have to look at the movie as trying to make a statement because it really wants to make a statement unquestionably Yes. And beyond that, as someone who reads comic books, the idea that comic books themselves aren't trying to say something is patently Mm -hmm. ridiculous. There are comic books that are entirely revolving around political stories and social justice and all of those things, just like books, just like movies, just like any form of art. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, and I think because Todd Phillips really tried to make this something set in both the real world and the comic book world, that I think if you don't talk about those aspects of it, then you are doing the film a serious disservice and criticism a disservice because why else would he make this movie? Because regardless of the Joker supposedly not being a political figure, which I think is um, not accurate. (laughs) Yes, questionable. The movie is unambiguously political you cannot get away from that i agree i don't think he saw that though no i totally agree Uh, there's he didn't see that i think he maintains that oh this isn't a political movie and that i think is the most fascinating part about it it's like if you didn't get this how did you not get that you're making art imitating life it really reads as this film is 
it really reads as maybe I'm projecting, but it reads as somebody who only reads headlines or at the screenplay. It's very like cursory, very just kind of like wide swaths. And again, it's confused in its ideology. Like it uses, for example, left wing talking points most of the time, but carried out in like right wing tactics. So it really is trying to say something in a specific way about the real world. It just unquestionably is, but it is really ultimately saying nothing. Is it weird though that the reason why I like this movie is because I love hearing the different interpretations and I think that that is actually a positive of the movie. Well, I yes. think there's a difference between hearing different interpretations in a movie like, for example, Taxi Driver, and then hearing people say, no, but it means this. No, but it means that this is wrong. This is right. Because, again, the movie I find very confused in its storytelling. Yeah, maybe maybe I'm confusing. Maybe I'm confusing uh, confusion for fascination. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's very possible. I, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth on my feelings on this movie and in the end i i lean more positive just because at the end of the day i like being able to come back to certain movies over time rewatch, get something different out of them i love reading analysis i love watching youtube videos of breaking down certain aspects of a movie and so on and so forth and i think this one is like yes i will admit it's got a tremendous amount of flaws and I don't think we'll ever definitively know what was intentional and what was not with it. And because of that, uh, the, the discussion around this movie will just never end. I, I think you can. Yeah, I think you can take points in the movie and extrapolate off of them and expand off them in the real world and have discussions about them. But the movie itself in a vacuum is not interested in that at all. Yes. Yeah. And that's totally. what I find interesting. Like the, I could separate the film itself from what people are talking about the film, everyone's interpretation. And I'm really interested in like the totally different interpretations and critical analysis that's going on. Cause again, it is so across the board and what makes it even much more, I don't know if it's funny or interesting is that the creative team really didn't see this coming. This is like such a surprise to them, which I honestly don't get. No, I don't get that either. Cause they low key, they mm. signed up to make a joke movie. How can you not see this coming? Yeah. So I find that incredibly interesting, and but I could totally, I can just personally separate that from just how I think about the film itself. It's almost like an, it's annoyingly frustrating that Todd fucking Phillips, the guy who made all these raunchy comedy movies, who claims that comedy is dead, blah blah blah, and everything, happened Please. to stumble upon, happened to stumble upon what could arguably maybe one day be considered a masterpiece, and the guy didn't even fucking know it. And it's like yeah. that is so frustrating to me. Yeah, he's just stupid. oh god you know and like i was saying before i think at the end of the day and i wrote this in my review as well the film is a collection of aspects that i really really like i think as you put it together as a whole um everyone's opinions will vary at the end of the day and it is what it is and i think that this is you know unquestionably one of the most interesting movies of the year in that regard so all right with that said uh final thoughts and then a grade out of 10 uh, let's see. We got a lot of people here, so um, we'll start off first with Katie. Okay. So, final thoughts. I think that ultimately, this film—it seems to have been created by someone who thought that they were writing in a vacuum. Where, oh well, I'll write this film that is a not even a commentary on current modern society without understanding that the world that we live in every day affects our writing. 
and didn't seem to understand that this film was laced with misogyny, with red pill language, for those who are familiar with the red pill movement, with, mm. you know, all of these mass murders that happen every day in America. And the idea that he could write a film that includes something like that and it wouldn't somehow be related to that. And it's just kind of this examination for me, for those who watch it, it's an examination of, like I said before, of art imitating life and how it's going to affect everyone is for me the most fascinating thing about the whole movie. Just how everyone reacts to it is far more interesting than the movie itself, except for Joaquin Phoenix's performance. <laughs> yeah, I said in my initial thoughts, I thought the cinematography, the score and Joaquin were irrefutable. Um, yes. I, I, I believe that, you know, I think if you like stripped away everything about the story and the questionable elements and everything else, like literally everything else and left just those three things. I think we all, Hey guys, come on. Can we all get it like a hug here? Can we all question? Can we all like come together and agree that those three aspects are pretty, pretty good in this. And the score. I love the cinematography. Mm, the cinematography is great. Yes. Yes. It's very well done. It's all about like all those close ups make it a very claustrophobic film and the dancing and the slow-mo, whatever your feelings about it. Like they're all very interesting technical choices. And yeah, I just want to give a shout out to uh, as well, just because I, I used to work in this field. Uh, large format cameras are really, really cool because <laughs> they give off a high quality IMAX like image without having to view it in IMAX. Mm -hmm. So you get a lot of uh, vertical height in the image. And I definitely thought for just showing the overbearing um, scale of the city and how it's weighing down on this small figure, especially as he, like he's roaming the streets and stuff. I, I like, you know, like you said, Katie, the technical choices that they make in how to shoot this movie. I, I think those elements are really, really well done here. Um, yes. And that's why I was saying before, like in terms of Todd Phillips's direction, I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more inclined to give him points for that. But then I'm like, oh, how much of that is Lawrence Shear? You know what I mean? It, versus yeah. Todd, then you know, probably so. most of it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm really glad that we could all at least, hey guys, for everyone that's listening, if you walk away from this podcast with anything, uh, at the end of the day, we all agreed on three things here. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Katie, great. Um. Oh, this is a really hard movie to grade. Mm -hmm. I think I think I would go with a five out of ten purely for all of the technical achievements in Joaquin Phoenix's performance. And it's just like I was I left the the movie feeling like I don't know if I like that or not. I don't know how I feel about it. So it gets right square in the middle. It was definitely one of the most unpleasant viewing experiences I've ever had. I want to just say for the record, but not in a way that like I've had unpleasant viewing experiences where I hated the movie because it was boring or, um, you know, just th this was one where the movie intentionally wanted me to feel bad. And I, and I think that mostly stemmed from the first act. And I, Dan, I love that you love the first yeah. act and we're like just opposite on that. You know, <laughs> I love that. And that, like I said, that's what's just been so exciting about this movie for me is just hearing how two people can walk out of it and have completely different opinions about it. Um, but this is something where unlike other movies in the past where I've been like, you know, wait a minute, really? You didn't like that here. I'm like, no, I could totally understand why you didn't like it. Like, I'm yeah. like I, I get it. You know, but Matt, the way that you thought after leaving the theater, that means the film worked for you. That was the point. It, it, mm -hmm. it did. I f and that's what, I, that's where I eventually came to in my thoughts. Cause like Katie, I didn't know how to grade it when it was over. I really didn't. I was very confused. 
I mean, you guys asked me in, in the group chat, you know, Matt, what'd you think? I think it took me like like almost an hour to reply. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, all righty, uh, let's move over now to Cody. Cody, uh, final thoughts, great out of 10. All right. Um, my final thought, I, I was really struggling after the movie as to why this version of the Joker doesn't work and the version in Dark Knight works so well. And what I, I'm not even quite sure exactly completely yet, but I think what I came up with is that in Dark Knight, he's an agent of chaos who thinks he stands for nothing, but he really does want humanity to be leveled to his viewpoint. And in that movie, he's ultimately proven wrong. In this movie, it paints the world as um, wanting to inevitably default to the Joker side. And he essentially gives them the cipher to do that. And I find that much less compelling and there's much less to take from that. So that's kind of where I am in the comparison of Jokers. Um, overall, I want to also I've been I feel like I've been sitting on this movie the whole time. So I want to say Joaquin's amazing see it for him and i also really loved the production design like we've all mentioned that was for me the tech that really stood out the most it's a lot of trash it's great uh so ultimately i'm landing on a uh four out of ten okay if it was without if joaquin wasn't there it would probably be to be a two or three okay all right uh danilo um, I would say I agree with everybody that I don't think Phillips necessarily knew what he was on to, uh, particularly when it comes to the script. And I think th the reason the film works for me is the ideological confusion that's in the script. I feel like kind of becomes one with the character and his ideological confusion. So as I'm watching it, I'm just kind of watching this mess of feelings and confusion and everything kind of collide. And for me, it works. I can see where it wouldn't work for a lot of people. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the performance, uh, the visuals of the film, like we everybody already mentioned. Um, I think I think the film is, I, I it's completely understandable why the film is polarizing and why some people, as I think Matt previously said, hate or love it. For me, I fall on the side of the four, of the latter. All right, what grade? I might be the highest one here, thinking I'm going to be. I'm going to give it an eight. Oh. Okay. Mm. All righty. Yeah. Shake it up a little bit. <laughs> Let's get that average up there. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, passing it over now to Dan Bear. Okay. Um, I I'm just I'm right down the middle on this. Um, I I am a five out of ten. I think you know, and mostly that is because of the technical elements. I think the cinematography and editing and production design and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are all great. And Joaquin is great. Um, but the, God, the screenplay is so messy. And like, I, it, at best, I feel like making this film now in today's society is somewhat irresponsible. Um, and the fact that they had no clue what they were doing just proves that they, everyone involved was the wrong person to be making this movie. Um, I actually love that, um, <laughs> that they film interrogates the Wayne family and presents them in a somewhat negative light. I really do love that. Um, and it, it makes more sense to me actually in the world of Gotham that we've seen. I, I wish that, other citizens of Gotham had gotten similar um, time to for us to see, you know, what makes 
the people of Gotham tip and why so many of them were willing to hold this character up as an icon and gotten someone to follow. I just don't think the movie quite gets there enough on that point for me to fully embrace what it does with the end. Um, and yeah, so I, five out of 10. Okay. And I wish I, I honestly wish it, it could be higher. I think there's a lot of good stuff in the first half of this movie, but oof. All right. Uh, Lauren. Yeah. This film worked for me. I understand why people have what it has. It really, I think this movie is really great on the technical side too. I wouldn't compare it to something like Judy, for example, with a really strong leading actor as well. I think Joaquin is phenomenal in this role with the disc. It really pisses me off that Todd Phillips just didn't know the potential of what he had. And I just, that really like annoys me just with him. Seeing the whole discourse of this film makes me wonder if people just aren't that familiar with the character of the Joker or if we as a society aren't ready for the Joker to be a central character and if he fits much more better as a supporting actor or as a supporting role. So that makes me question, does he actually belong to be a central character in a story for a mass audience at this time period, which I think is an interesting question. But I like seeing this guy who has this sadistic playfulness and wants to see people turn into the exact opposite that they want them to be is really cool. And I saw the character that I grew up with, and that's really awesome. But I do understand the discourse, and I understand why people are confused or conflicted. And that really makes me think, if A, they're just not used to the Joker, or B, they're not used to seeing the Joker in the central story as the main character, or if we as a society, again, aren't ready for him to be that prominent in a story. But I think I was, and it really worked for me. And yeah, I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 for that, and then I'm just knocking the points off just for Phillips being a dick. (laughs) 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 A good reason. Yeah. It is. (laughs) Other good reasons. Josh Parham. What do you got? Uh, well, before I get into like my sort of summary of my final thoughts, I do want to mention the one moment of the film that I actually did laugh and found funny. And that was when he was at the children's hospital and the gun drops out. Oh, my God. <laughs> I actually <laughs> found that to be very funny. And it was the one <laughs> moment where I felt like, OK, that got a laugh out of me. And I have to acknowledge that. It was a really dark Patch Adams remake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it was good. Like, I, I had to admit, like, that moment got a laugh out of me, and I want to acknowledge something positive about a movie that mostly I did not find many positive things out of. Um, I recognize that there are a lot of technical elements of this film that are definitely worthy of praise. Uh, I don't know if I would go so far as to say that I thought they were exceptional, but they were well done, and I will grant the movie that. But a movie has to be more, obviously, than its technical elements. And I think that at the core of this film is just something that I found so unbelievably hollow in the things that it wanted to say, bringing up so many ideas but never diving into any of them, that it all became this muddled mess thematically. And that really just pushed me away from getting into this film at all, despite me appreciating some aspects of it. And liking what Joaquin Phoenix was doing, but he is servicing a movie that is not interested like at all, I think, in what he's really doing as an actor. 
And because this film felt so empty to me that at times it didn't make me uncomfortable and I did feel unpleasant, but I felt like it was all making me feel that without any point behind it. And that's really, really not a mood that I like to be in when I'm watching a film. So for all of that, I give this movie a three out of 10. I really, really did not like it. Okay. Uh, I, I think I've said everything I wanted to say. I don't think I have anything else to add. Uh, I will admit wholeheartedly that this has been for me uh, one of the most interesting times of the year uh, just in regards to hearing everybody's uh, interpretations of the film everybody's takes on the film and that's what I will forever remember about this movie more so than the movie itself is um, that there was such a wide range of opinion on this movie and in that regard I love it I love anything that challenges us that provokes us I also like things that make me personally feel uncomfortable I like being uh you know able to step outside of my comfort zone when I watch a movie and being forced to confront certain things um and I definitely think this film gets a lot of stuff wrong uh for sure but on the opposite end of that uh, my grade my I will say this in all reality my real grade is probably a six uh but I'm giving it an eight, and I know that's a huge jump uh, to make here. Uh, But the reason for that is just because I live for this stuff. I live for this conversation, and this movie has given it to me, and it will continue to give it to me for many, many years to come, I think. Um, There will be those that will say that it has absolutely nothing to say, and that is a totally valid point, and I fully understand where people are coming from. There will be those that will not want to breathe and utter of its existence in the world because it truly upsets them. And I think that is also by design. Uh, And that's okay. I think everyone's opinions on this movie is totally okay. And for that reason, I, I don't like, I don't love it. Um, but I'm, I am just endlessly fascinated by it and I want to keep exploring it and I want to keep asking people what they think about it as well. Uh, because I think it helps to give, uh, a viewpoint, not only into our own humanity, but also into uh, someone's, you know, just overall taste, their viewpoint, and society as a whole. And I think that that's all really well and good if you have a curious mind, like I do. So, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. God, should we even, God, we got to talk Oscar potential. Oh, my Lord. Um. Ooh, okay, so, I mean, like, listen, at the end of the day, on the website, I put down Joaquin, I put down the cinematography, I put down score as prospects. I went back and forth with Best Picture, uh, because, and eventually I put it on there because I do wonder if there is going to be some sort of a long play narrative just in terms of those re- who really, really love this movie will rally to its defense, if you know what I mean. And we saw last year so many movies get pummeled by critics. And that just made those who really, really love those movies really, really go to bat for those movies. And I'm wondering if we're looking at a similar situation here. For, for that reason alone, I think it's a prospect. It's definitely a prospect. I just don't know if... All we've seen right now is how people in the critical fields have took to this movie i don't think we know the whole story of how the industry how those people are going to react to this 
Um, and yeah. I think there will definitely be some that will see it as, you know, throwback to the types of films that it shamelessly steals from. Mm-hmm. Yep. Classic um, 70s cinema. Yep. And they may, they may r- rally to its defense. On the other hand, those same people have an actual icon of 70s cinema making one of his best movies that they can also vote for this year. It's true. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I honestly think that Joaquin is in definitely and anything else is uh, either not going to happen or a relative long shot. I want to just say in regards to Joaquin, there are two things that I find very interesting here. One is that he historically doesn't campaign. Uh, but this movie, he's been campaigning hard. And I think a lot of that has really? to do... Yeah, well, I mean, you know, he's done a lot more interviews for this than he does normally for most of his movies. Which is really rare. I think that speaks to how hard the studio is pushing yes. it though as opposed to actually him. I think that there is a backing here from the studio that you wouldn't get if this was like an independent production. Yeah. And I think that actually helps him a little bit. Um, I think what also helps is that the movie is going to be seen by a lot of people from either a curiosity standpoint or just the sheer blockbuster nature of it. I mean, it's set to make a lot of money this weekend. And then the other thing I think that's also uh, something to consider here, and I made this comparison the other night, was Joaquin potentially missing a nomination for Best Actor reminds me a lot of Jake Gyllenhaal missing for Nightcrawler. I was going to say that. And it's yeah. because of the darkness of the performance. I, 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 I went back and I looked at nominated performances and they don't traditionally like anti-hero, like dark performances like such as this. You know what I mean? Film noir. I'm yeah, telling I think you. WB will be pushing this. Warner Brothers will be pushing this hard oh, because they want to. Yeah. They want to come back. They they here. won the Golden Lion. <laughs> well, they will be pushing this for more. Best Picture. They want more. Anything. No, no. I mean, like it. It, it, it kind of amazes me that this movie won the Golden Lion. <laughs> oh, I'm well, yes, breath. absolutely. Yeah. Shape of Water, Roma. Joker. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't make sense to me at all, except when they like, we're Europeans and we laugh at you silly Americans. And this shows how truly awful you are. Yes, we like this movie way. I bet that has something to do with it. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, I've noticed that the overseas reaction to this movie is definitely so much more positive than it is in the States. And do you think that's because, like, for them, this is not the same... Like they don't live here, obviously. They don't live in the American world where literally you can anywhere you go, anywhere you go, it can happen where this kind of thing can happen to you. So for us, this is very immediate and like all too real in some aspects. But for them, like this is a commentary so much on America. And maybe this for them is like, look at the Americans are finally making a film about themselves that's real. I think so, honestly. I don't want to pigeonhole anyone with that. It's just an observation that I've noticed is that, especially like in Europe, uh, you know, we have a we have a lot of UK followers who um, I've noticed are pretty high on the movie. So it was just an observation that I made over Twitter, looking at people's reactions and such. And um, I, like I said, I don't want to I don't want to make that sound definitive. I think pretty much almost everywhere universally, this movie will be a little bit more uh, divided than any normal movie would be. But, uh, you know, just an observation there. And I wonder if that is also something that, considering that the Academy is a bit more uh, international, um, could also, you know, have some sort of a leaning there, you know? I will say this. God help me. uh, Because I saw some people saying this, and I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. 
Uh, Todd Phillips for screenplay and directing? Nope, nope, no. nope, 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 nope. Absolutely nope. not. That's not God, no. Definitely not. That would be something else yeah. uh, my, that not I would not year. be prepared for. Mm-mm. I would just not There's, be, I would not yeah, be ready for that. I don't know how to react. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think another thing that is going to be taken into account with this movie is that even though it is trying very hard to not remind you that it is one, it is still a comic book movie. And mm. traditionally, comic book movies really struggle with the Academy. And I know people are going to mention Black Panther last year, but that was a very particular case of a lot of special circumstances coming together to push that movie yeah. over the edge. Well, then we'll make a better comparison here. We'll say Logan got one nomination for screenplay. It is very conceivable that Joker could get one nomination for Joaquin. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. even that, I would say, is not definite. I'm not sold on Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, no, I think that is definitely happening. Oh, the sold. whole thing with the laughter, the the playing something outwardly that and conveying that you are feeling something completely different internally, that is catnip to actors. Oh, that is yeah. an absolute is, favorite thing. And he does and people it want so Joaquin well. Win. That's everything, yeah. too. Joaquin is at the point in his career where we do see uh, the best actor uh, Oscar go to yeah. someone. And I, I would agree mm-hmm. with that if, but if he wasn't playing a character that was already been, and has already been rewarded with an Oscar. All That's a good ready. point. Yep. And I, I just wonder if like, yes, they'll see all those choices that he makes and think that he's good, but there might be enough people thinking, yeah, but he's doing it for a comic book movie. And we already gave the Joker an Oscar already. And even that probably had some extraordinary circumstances to it. I think, I think that would hinder a win, but I think a nomination is still possible on those yeah. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Like I said, the only thing that's holding it back is the, the level of darkness with the performance, and it might just, you know, hold people back. Um, in in which regard, it's like, let's imagine Joaquin misses. Uh, does the film pull a donut and not get anything, or does yes. it get like a lone, yes. uh, no lone score nomination or anything like that? No, yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't think so. I, I it's don't a, know. It's I a strong cinematography, score, in, but I would say Joaquin's number one. And also, too, this is like a little random, but, you know, I was just thinking of it. I was like, you know, possibly. Um, I was wondering, uh, does this movie have a shot at uh, sound mixing for some of the like the crowd scenes and especially like oh, in the third so act, good. you know? Yeah, the sound mix was really, really strong. Yeah, I but saw this I don't in know. a really good theater for that with IMAX and everything. And I just couldn't believe how well the sound was done because, you know, it had all the speakers everywhere. And there are points where it really does feel like they're you're in the crowd. Yeah. They're behind you. And just this little bits you hear, like I was amazed at how well the sound was done. Yeah. Technically, this is a really good film. Mm-hmm. Like besides the writing and shit, but like technically like from like <laughs> cinematography and score and sound like it's solid. Yeah. Uh, anything else uh, to touch upon in terms of the war- film's uh, awards potential? Or no, I will say this. I mean, as much as I love the score by uh, Hildur, um, I, someone's got to tell me how to pronounce her last name. I, at some point, I swear <laughs> to God, um, I'm really, really sorry. Um, as much as I love that score, uh, that score to me strikes me as uh, like a Mika Levy mm-hmm. uh, kind of a score where uh, you know m- me like she'll get notices for it. I'm sure, but like under the skin. Mm-hmm. may not get there all the way and then when she does a more academy friendly type of movie just like Mika did with like something like Jackie that's when you know what I mean mm-hmm. That that's where I'm kind of like leaning with that right now but you know we'll wait and see okay oh man we got it we got it okay here we go spoiler time <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> I have one thing to say about spoilers, and this is the whole, like, Todd Phillips didn't know what kind of movie he was making here. The last line of dialogue in this movie, that, that was when I really lost my patience with it. Having him say, to a black woman, I was just thinking of a joke, you wouldn't get it. Yeah. Oh, so it, painful. It infuriated me. And then he goes on singing That's Life. And it's just like, oh, no, you can't possibly think, you can't possibly, like, not imagine what is going to happen after you put that as the ending salvo of your movie. Like, you, the, it speaks to a level of just um, privilege. Not even a level of privilege, a, a, a level of like, just complete ignorance. Yeah, his, he's unaware. Society he today. doesn't know. I, yeah. I, I honestly believe this goes back to like Todd Phillips's tone deaf uh, nature on the movie in the sense of yeah. I don't think that is intentional, uh, but there is an optics there that is undeniably read into that. I, and I think yeah. he means it. I really think that he means well, that. Well, 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 let me ask you this question. What is the joke? I have no clue, but it doesn't matter. But do you notice that at the end of the movie, uh, there is a flash shot of Bruce oh, standing Bruce. over his parents? Yeah. Yeah. It's Bruce. That's the joke. I, is it's how possible. funny it is that Bruce Wayne is now an orphan. Or not, not even an orphan, like but, a... but more of like um, that my actions created something and that I actually like mm-hmm. did something that was greater than myself. And in many ways, something that I found very interesting was that just like how Batman as, is a symbol um, this movie attempts to make the Joker a symbol, but on the opposite side of the, uh, 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 like an opposite side of the coin to kind of like borrow Two-Face pun there, I guess, um, <laughs> where it, it's just, you know, com- this movie is meant to be dark and evil and depressing. It's not meant to be heroically triumphant like a Batman or anything like that. Um, and the aspects that we're talking about in terms of it being triumphant and hero worship and things of that nature, um, the only thing that sold me on that was, like I said, within the context of the story, uh, at the end of the movie, where he's just inspired all these people that are like him, sick of the class divide within the city and everything else that's going on. It's like, oh, well, this explains how the Joker has like a shit ton of henchmen. And I was like, I, okay, like I buy this now <laughs> a little bit. It's a well, little... No, but that's where I think the film should have ended. Like, I think that yes. the scene in the insane time, like, was that I think that was like either a reshoot or something that they just like came up with. Well, that, that's the that's like the it. taxi driver. That's the taxi driver ending. Literally, it is. It's mm-hmm. you can either interpret it as he died in the car crash uh, when the ambulance hits the car. But but or, we know yeah. that he didn't <laughs> because that's why the, uh, it shouldn't be there. Yeah, yeah. I think in the street. I think the ending should have come in the studio. He should have shot that guy. He should have shot Robert De Niro and then shot himself like he planned. And then all of the chaos happens afterwards. That was the interesting and more compelling ending. And I think if this wasn't a Joker movie, that's probably where it would have ended. But because this is a Joker movie, we need to continue the story and allow him to live, which I don't know that I buy because this isn't supposed to be like... This isn't supposed to be necessarily an origin story because Mm -hmm. this feels like it's supposed to be just kind of 
its own thing. It is. It is just. A they've said that before. Joaquin will do another one. No, they've right. said they, that they won't. One, for the love I'm of God. <laughs> or him being in. He's not fighting Robert Patterson. It's not happening. Right. <laughs> right. Not to mention, too, I, I did have a little bit of an issue in terms of how aged up this Joker was compared to Bruce Wayne. And I'm like, so what's the deal here when Bruce Wayne is like. In his twenties, is his like Joker like supposed to be like in his fifties? <laughs> He's that's a spry older guy. <laughs> that's why, because he that's what that dancing. Out I will say this: Joaquin Phoenix for age forty-four, man, that guy can run. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> in clown shoes, no less. I love yeah. the running. I love so the running. Weird. Just the flailing arms and le- oh my mm-hmm. god, how far back he kicks his legs. Oh. I'm telling you, he's getting nominated. <laughs> you know what? You know what really sold me on that? Uh, the physicality aspect of the performance, too. And I kind of hate this is such an on the nose Todd Phillips moment in the movie that I I, I, I admit I hated because I just wanted to be able to think of it on my own. But when they showed Charlie Chaplin at one point, I was like, mm-hmm. OK, I get it. I understand. I see what you guys are doing, you know, but. For the love of God, can you just let me make that comparison on my own, please? (laughs) Yeah, at certain points, like especially in the scene in the studio, that's kind of where the movie really goes off the rails for me because it just starts being incredibly obvious. Like we are going to state our points. We are going to state that we are not being political here. You know, all caps, just such a poorly thought out. It's like, well, now you've stated it and now we know that you really didn't know what you were making here because obviously your film is political look at all the class warfare that's going mm-hmm. on i think yeah. whether you like the film or not i think it's impossible to deny that it's not a subtle film <laughs> no, <laughs> no. By what it's what no it's way. pushing in your face or you don't well like joaquin's performance uh during the talk show segment with uh murray and uh how it kind of like crescendos into that gunshot moment i mm-hmm. i like the rising tension of it all so well done because yeah, because honestly, I, I'm not going to deny it uh, because I went into this knowing it was a one-off movie and I know that they said they were not doing sequels. There was a part of me that conceivably thought he might shoot him and then shoot himself. And when mm-hmm. he didn't shoot himself, I was like, oh, OK, where's the movie going now? And then they did the taxi driver ending. And I was like, oh, OK, lazy. But at the same time, um, interesting because now i gotta like recontextualize and rethink now a lot of shit and Mm -hmm. it gave me something to think about afterwards at least you know the ending uh what we're talking about like the ambiguity of like is this real or not i think that's one of the bigger problems of the movie is that the movie doesn't explore ambiguity and unreliable narrator at all because it has the moment where we see Zazie beats his character revealed to not actually be hanging out with him all the time which was not a shock uh, to me at all that no, was... and honestly, thank God, because, like, wow. Um, but also, I because really that moment problems. when he goes back after killing the two guys and just kisses her, and she is totally okay with it, I'm like, what the fuck? I knew right then and there. I was like, there's and, no way. And then so I was, like, glad mm-hmm. when they realized, like, no, that, that was, all this wasn't real. But then at the same time, like, girl, I... Oh, poor Zazie Beats. I know, it felt so bad for her. That is an impossible fucking character to play, and you are, like, really, that is the oldest fucking trick in the book for these kinds of characters that makes this movie so much more generic and honestly unlikable like ugh, i and hated that is, so the th- thing is all we need in the scene is her to go you're arthur right you live down the hall like she does yeah. 
We yeah, don't need the flashbacks, like beautiful mind style, showing us that she wasn't there the whole time. I hated that too. I, I'm smart that, enough to figure it out. I already yes. know. I already knew it before you revealed it. Yeah. <laughs> you right. What that does then is then it gives us the film's vocabulary includes the idea of we're going to show you what's real or what's not. We're going to show you the audience. So yeah. if that is not there, it makes so much of the movie more ambiguous and way more interesting. It brings up lots of things like maybe he did just steal the sign in that opening scene where he got beat up with the kids. Maybe he, you know didn't find the letter from his mom and just killed her because he had a delusion. There's so much more interesting, unreliable narrator stuff they could have done that is completely deleted with the idea of them showing the moments of Zazzy Beats not being Cody, that is a great, great criticism. And I I, I applaud you for using the film's own language against it because I fully agree with you on that. Yeah, same. (laughs) Yeah, it's portrayal of Zazzy Beats just like everyone else drove me nuts because from, be from that first moment where he meets her in the elevator, I was like, okay, this is kind of realistic. And then the fact that she's excited that he was following her around, I was like, no woman ever would do that. Nope. Yeah. Ever. No mm-hmm. one would be like, oh, you were following me. That's so cute. Instead of like, if I see you again, I'm going to call the police, you fucking psycho. Yeah. And even further, if we don't have that flashback showing us where she has or hasn't been, then the movie becomes, oh, maybe he, the world really isn't out to get him. And yeah. that's a much more yeah. realistic commentary yeah. on a world that the film really wants to comment on. All right, but it isn't willing to go far enough to tell us whether or not he kills her and her daughter. Exactly. Which and is, that- frankly, what happens in the real world. I didn't even think about that. I don't think he does because he has that scene with Lee Gill. Um, who I instantly recognize from Game of Thrones, by the way, uh, <laughs> in a very, very, very small. Th- that's my new thing nowadays. Now I can I know every single character from Game of Thrones. Is that your Savant skill? It is. <laughs> Even if they had like one line, like one like walk on line, I always know if they were in Game of Thrones or not. Um, but anyway, that scene where he kills um, uh, Br- was it Brian Callen? No, uh, who who's the actor that plays? Um, not friend. Yeah, his friend at work. What friend? Air quotes. His friend slash not friend. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frenemy. But he spares uh, Lee Gill's character. He spares him because Lee Gill literally has never done anything to him. Ever. Such a good scene. And yeah. I really, really like that scene uh, tremendously because uh, th- it did two things for me. One, it, it, it did give me this idea, uh, it, it, it presented more questions that it didn't provide answers to in terms of the morality of this character. And is he truly completely mentally unhinged or does he actually have purpose behind everything that he does? And it just drew that more into question for me. Um, and that's the ambiguous nature uh, and unpredictability of this character, not within this movie, but just this character uh, in every iteration that, that he's ever been depicted in that I'm always so fascinated by. And going back to that line of a dog chasing cars, you know, and how this character just just does things. And he just sees it as a game. Like, that's what it is for me. He's just making everyone else uncomfortable in the situation that he's in. Like, that's the whole reason he locked the door is just so he can go and unlock it for him. And the guy's nerves like, oh, is he actually going to let me out or is he going to kill me? Like, you don't know. And that freaks yeah. you out. My audience had such right. a great reaction to, to that moment where you realize he can't leave. Because oh, um, it, it really was like, oh, like a, a, a sense of dreading, like horror. It's a cynical oh. game. 
that was the best moment in the movie, but like also the worst. Yeah, yeah, um, totally. Like yeah. I loved, uh, I absolutely loved when he locked the door, and then he's like, "Go leave," and that's when I started laughing because like you know he can't reach the door, you know he can't reach that lock. But the fact that he does Which open it and he does let him leave, yeah. though, I, 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 once again, I don't really have a commentary on this necessarily. I did, I just want to say for the record that I found that very interesting. What was I, everybody's audience's reactions to this? Because I had like part of my audience was laughing at all of the the wrong moments to laugh and then everybody else was dead silent and then at the end like there was nothing no discussion just people quietly getting up and filing out well yeah my audience clapped at the end my audience clapped at the end too. I mean, not the whole audience, but enough that I was like, "Oh." I was at a critic we screening clapped. in New York, and there was maybe twenty five percent of the audience that clapped. Yeah, my screen, my screening in Times Square was probably closer to fifty percent. It, it just speaks to the polarizing nature of the movie. Which yeah. is so cool. It is right, isn't it? Just endlessly fascinating. Cool. I'm glad this movie came out so you could have these conversations. Right. Um, one thing I was really scared about while the movie was going on from a spoiler standpoint was um, that they were going to go there in terms of Joker and Bruce Wayne being brothers. And I got so scared. Yeah. Oh, they are. I, they no, they're not. They're not. Like, no, they no they're not. No, no, no. I, the movie, I think, leaves that intentionally ambiguous, which I didn't really like because I don't think. You can't make a character study and make it be vague. I just don't think you can have it both ways right? with that. And I think the movie does leave it intentionally vague as to whether or not yes. they are related. That but me. <laughs> it did. It bothered me too because then it just added more to the muddled messages of the film because then it's like, okay, you can work with this idea that Thomas Wayne is just this asshole rich guy who treats everybody like garbage and he got this maid pregnant and didn't do anything about it. Or, and that's the reason why Arthur Fleck is so messed up, or is Arthur Fleck messed up because his mom had a mental illness and society just didn't want to do anything with her. But the movie doesn't ever comment really why that is necessary for his character. And it was so frustrating to me. Well, let's be clear. She abused him by not preventing other people from abusing Correct. him because she was delusional. She didn't right. actually perpetuate the abuse or, well, she did because she is the one who demanded that he be happy all the time. And that's what we were talking about earlier with the laughter. That I think is where it has set that part up is because she calls her nickname for him is happy. She talks all the time about what a happy boy he was and how he's never allowed to express any kind of sadness but, but is or frustration. That, but is that, the reason that he has like it's sort of like cart before the horse you're like which is it is is, does she call him that because he is constantly laughing all the time or is he constantly laughing all the time because she calls him that like because she pressured him into never showing any sadness never to be mm -hmm. happy all the time yes i thought she said that and that's part of her psychosis that she said that because he was always laughing and she didn't get it right it could be either way that's an ambiguous thing that I don't know. I felt like maybe there should have been more resolution with that because it would mm. have allowed us to see the interplay of their different delusions. Yeah. And that would have been, that would have provided more clarity, especially when it comes to, is he Thomas Wayne's son? Which I think should have been less ambiguous when it comes to a Joker movie. If this wasn't a Joker movie. I truly believe, I truly believe that he's not. Yes, I am. Right, but there's... I'm not confused by it. I think he's not. Yeah, no. I'm not confused by it, but I don't think the movie is willing to 
double down enough because of the delusional nature of the character. Yeah, the last bit of evidence that it gives you is that he finds a picture of his mom, younger, that like says, you know, you look good, sweetie. Yep. W. W. Like, exactly. Like, so even at the very end of the movie, this the, it's still providing evidence of like, well, it could be one way or the other, which, like I said, I don't think works we'll when you're never trying to do know. a character study. Right. And Thomas Wayne is rich. He could have had all of that shit, you know, yeah. exactly. made. Yeah. So when she says it he doesn't, did that, like, it's it's quite obvious that he has the means to make that happen. So, like, why would right. Um Right. And everything, uh, too, also... What did we all think of uh, the scene where Arthur uh, smothers uh, his mother in the hospital? Uh, Not fun to watch. So that's the point I was alluding to earlier where it was like that was the line. And I say this because I – listen, if I'm being – you know, if I'm getting the shit kicked out of me on the subway by three guys getting hit in the face and everything and I've got a gun on me, I I would use it as a means of intimidation – I wouldn't, you know, do what he does, which is once he fires the shot, then he kind of like, I think, takes pleasure in the anguish of the moment and savors it. And then then he executes them, essentially. Um, But I understood it. I don't agree with it, but I understood it. Yes. Because it was a confusing moment for that character in terms of wielding that power that he's never felt before. And he was scared by it, too. Um, he, he had a reaction to it. So I was not fully there yet, but when he decides to, uh, kill his mother, that was the moment for me where it was like, there is no ambiguity. Uh, there's no more sympathy. Uh, anything else that this movie tries to get me to feel for this character, I will not feel it. And which is why like the hero worship aspect of it, I get it within the context of the movie of the citizens of Gotham as an audience member, not at all. Not at all. No, same. Yeah, that's where, in my opinion, Arthur dies with his mother and he becomes Joker. Right. That's me. What do you guys think? That's a really great perspective. Mm. I can see that. And I kind of, I agree that's what the movie's going for. Definitely. That this is his transformation scene. This is where he lets go of who he was before and kills who he was before to become something Mm -hmm. new. But I just didn't feel like the movie had necessarily earned that mm-hmm. at that point. But I like that it went there, even though it's a terrible place to go. Yeah. But it was, if you are going to make this guy a bad guy, which obviously the Joker is a bad guy, mm-hmm. then you have to show him being unambiguously terrible. And regardless of how his mother treated him, it's still pretty bad to kill her. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it it's weird to me that like I didn't even think of that as the breaking point because I saw that as more just sad, but like inevitable. Like I kind of saw that coming as what the movie was about. Like, of course, he's going to be resentful of you know how his mother has treated him, and he's going to end up killing her. What really did it for me was when he killed the guy who may or may not, I guess, have given him the gun. Oh, okay. Um, that was the moment where I was like, "Oh no, this is this is purely he's just doing it because this guy fucked with him." Yep. Or he thinks this guy fucked with him, and that was the moment where I'm like, "Okay, he's he's fully gone now, and this is the moment of no, the point of no return." And that's why I think he killed Zazie Beats because she rejects him in that moment. Oh yeah, she doesn't I think he welcome her. him. Yeah, he killed her and her daughter because she rejects him in that moment and isn't welcoming. So she doesn't. Um, endorse his delusion and that's force that forces him to have a break with reality 
And so I would, because of the scene we just saw where he kills his friend, it Mm -hmm. feels like that's the only possible outcome. But I think they didn't show it because that would have been a step too too far. And I think there is a line here in terms of uh, understanding a character and sympathizing with a character. Um, I understand this character. I I don't sympathize with him. And I and I I think people confuse understanding for sympathy. And I and whether you agree with it or not, I, I think is irrelevant. I think that the movie does uh, you know, like I said, the fact that he spares Lee Gill and he kills these other people who you can trace to moments in the movie where that character would feel that he was wronged by them. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. that's why he does what he does. I like that because it helps to provide a level of understanding. Um, but what I don't like about it is I don't like that it kind of goes against the random chaotic nature of the character. Um, but in doing so and having both of those aspects there, uh, because you can make an argument like the fact that he's in his apartment you know, consoling him and like being there for him, uh, you know, in this moment that shows this guy like has like a level of whether it's pity or whatever it is. Like he feels something for Arthur. And what does he get for it? He gets a stab in the neck and, you know, his death. I, I mean, like, no, he was there just to ask the question. So he knew like what to say when the police come to him. Yep. Oh, shit. I forgot about yeah, that. You're right. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, damn it. You're That's right. An ambiguous part of it is that he gave the guy the gun. I forgot. You're right. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that film because is interested in ambiguity, though, you know, because it shows us when we're seeing something that's real or not. Mm-hmm. I, I That's another moment that would have been really interesting if it's like, Arthur, no, you asked me for the gun. Oh, yes. Ooh. Or something. Exactly. Or, like, I, or just, yeah. I don't know what, what are you talking about? I, what well, does? Yeah, well, he says that to the boss, like. Exactly. And if that's yeah. what was true. That's way more interesting. Yeah. And now we're back to Todd Phillips being stupid and not knowing what he had. <laughs> <laughs> it all traces back to Todd. <laughs> Just being stupid. Um, I did like the. I, I was I was dreading uh, another thing I was dreading uh, just in terms of uh, Bruce Wayne and Joker. I was I was really gonna be upset if they revealed that Joker was the one that killed uh, Bruce's parents. Well, there are versions where. Yeah, there are. Versions. Oh yeah, we've seen it in the Tim Burton version. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I totally get it, but I'm glad that it wasn't just that. And even though I was like, "Oh man, the Batman origin story, this has been overdone to death for the love of God," um, I still didn't mind it. I, I like because it, it was short. Yes. Yeah. You know, like it was just there, and they didn't overdo it. But I also like too, uh, just because I, I once again the two sides of the coin idea. In this moment where the Joker comes into his own as this evil criminal mastermind that will lead uh, a movement onto the city of Gotham, uh, his origin uh, parallels the origin of Bruce Wayne. And mm-hmm. there was a, there was a bit of symmetry there, but I I, I, I like I liked it. You know, I, I, I dug it because they're both at the end of the day, uh, two opposite symbols for two different ideologies. And, you know, that I find that very interesting. But yeah. I think also the Joker in, in this movie does not ever reach a point where I think he is concerned about becoming any kind of figurehead for anything. No, and he has no, no he has no aspirations for that. Well, exactly. no, but but at the very end of the film when he's in front of that crowd and he's loving eating the it attention, up. Yeah, but that to me kind of reads like that's what he wants, and I think he wants was, validation. 
Yeah, he wants to audition. He yeah. wants to be seen. Yeah, because his whole life he feels like he's never existed, uh, as he says a couple of times within the movie. And he's never felt that he's gotten the... Loved or... Loved, adoration, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, mm, yeah I, I, I think it's messy, but it's there. Sure, but I think the fact that it is messy only extends to the other problems that I have with the entire film being muddled in its messages. And I think... Another thing about that moment is it, it did kind of go back to the feelings that I had about how race is depicted in this film, which I can already oh, hear gosh. the fanboy screaming at me about it. But the fact is that I remember watching this movie and the first attack that he gets into with those kids, they all look like brown kids to me. They are. And are. from that point on, it's one black woman after another that rejects him yep. in some manner that is isn't listening to him or doesn't want to connect with him in any way. And to have that in this movie, and then at the very end when he's in front of this, what looked to me like a very white crowd, and believe me, on the big Mm -hmm. IMAX screen, I was looking for any faces of color and it looked very white to me. All of that has to mean something, especially in this day. And either you are a filmmaker who is saying something about it, and that's very unsettling and troubling to me, or you're not paying attention to it at all. And that's almost even worse to be completely ignorant about that. And it is another element that I found this film playing with that I really thought was incredibly irresponsible, that it really didn't interrogate any of those issues at all within the film. I, I have one I, I have one more thing. It. Wait, wait, I have one more thing to add to that, actually. And I, I don't want to definitively say, obviously, based on the two choices that you gave, that it's one or the other, obviously. Uh, but there's one other level uh, I would add, which is... Um, if I were, yeah, I definitely remember this. In Taxi Driver, the character of Travis Bickle also has uh, a degree of racism in him to, um, the, you know, the, the streets of New York at that time, and there are references to that in Taxi Driver. And I, I think that if it was that, for example, like this kind of, you know, oh, we're gonna pay homage to what it was like back in, you know, the seventies in New York and so on and so forth. In that regard, um, I think it's completely irresponsible and. Um, it goes back to once again, either it's irresponsible and a terrible poor choice or, you know, Josh, it's that level of ignorance uh, that you said. And it's. Uh. Well, and then there's the whole thing with in. the t- the guys that he kills are all asshole white dudes. And that's what really like pushes everything past the boiling point. I think there's so much privilege inherent in. Todd Phillips's thing, a word I know everybody hates, but I think it applies here because, and we talked about how it's so unexamined and Todd Phillips is kind of an idiot when it comes to it. And I think that plays into a lot of his privilege because he doesn't see all of the complex relationships that are inherent in telling this story. And he certainly doesn't have any kind of awareness about how he's using race, how he's using, um, you know, gender politics, all of that, because he thinks, I think my impression of it is that he doesn't think he needs to know that stuff because his idea is fine without it. And therefore yeah, because it comes the movie off is about so the white poor. man at the center. It's right. not and about it, the other side characters. Right. And it comes off so poorly and it, it's all entirely because I feel like Todd Phillips Thought he had every all the information he needed to tell the story, and so therefore it loses all of its nuance because he's not really examining it in any kind of impactful or interesting way. And I think a lot of movies, especially comic book movies, like to kind of 
do a hand wavy thing of saying, well, we're not going to really talk about it because it's this made up fantasy world of a comic book. But of course, with this movie that tries so hard, like doesn't even have the DC logo at the beginning of it, it was really trying to make you think that you're not watching a comic book movie and try to embed this into some kind of reality. You can't just hand wave that. You can't just bring up like, oh, Gotham's dealing with a class issue, but like that is it. You're just yeah. going to focus on white Wall Street guys, and that's like the core root of the problem without exploring anything else that goes into class issues. Like, no, you can't do that. And right. I found Not that commenting to be is a yeah, comment. exactly. I found that mm-hmm. to be another element of this film that really, really turned me off from it. The fact that they want to be this real gritty kind of feeling story, but then not explore any of the nuance to that that would actually make this a compelling story to get into. You know what? I have to, uh, you know, I'll be honest. And, and this is, you know, uh, this is not something that maybe sometimes I'm looking for. Um, but hearing uh, what you just brought up there, Josh, just in terms of your responsibility of its depiction of race on screen. Um, I think I have to give another knock against the movie. I think I might have to go down to a seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just like I, I think that that is uh, for all the reasons that you just laid out. I'm. I'm actually I'm like I'm 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 actually pretty disgusted actually by it just even hearing it because I definitely think it is um one of two cho- one of two things and both of them are not good options. Exactly. And it it can't be something that I think you can just brush away because it happens far too often in the movie. Right. There's too many examples of it that you can point to to be like okay, either this is intentional or you weren't paying attention. And like you said, Matt, either option is not good. No, Mm -hmm. no. Mm -hmm. And like I said before, even if you want to add the context of like, you know, just to add, uh, you know, any kind of defense. Oh, you know, he was, uh, you know, trying to depict the New York of the 70s and stuff. And, you know, it goes back to a taxi driver did this too and everything. It's like, okay, but if you're going to do it, you need to comment on it more. You need to explain yourself more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Taxi driver is aware of what it's doing. It is yeah. not, it is it, it says it blatantly. It makes him out to be a racist. It does not kind of throw some black people in without any idea of why they're there or what it says with their actions mm-hmm. and how they're portrayed. Taxi driver knows what it's saying. This movie does not. And this character never once makes any comment uh necessarily about that directly. Instead, it's just left open for us the audience to interpret it however we want, and I think mm-hmm. the evidence is there for us to interpret it in a negative light. Um I don't think there is any evidence to interpret it any other way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, the film is ours, Todd. Let us have it. <laughs> <laughs> Back off, Todd. We got comments. With that said, um, unfortunately, Danilo Castro had to jump off. Uh, this review has gone incredibly long today, but um, there, I, I, I'm really, really happy with the conversations that we've had uh, regarding this film today. Um, there's a lot to say about it, and uh, I think there is some level of merit here. Um, whether it's big or small, totally up to you. I also think that there is, uh, you know, I'm glad that at the end of this conversation, like I took away some different uh, perspectives and thoughts and ideas that um, I I didn't think of on this viewing. And I knew coming out of it, too, that I knew I didn't want to watch it again right away. Um, I knew that. I will watch it again at some point. Uh, I just don't know when. And I'm not really aching to do so necessarily. But I do think it's a fascinating movie to explore. And it could also lead to if we apply the right mindset to it, a positive in the end. I think us just even talking about these things, uh, what we found wrong with it, it's good. It's a positive thing. Oh, yeah. I, I, I yeah. thought you last week, Matt, 
I will always be grateful for movies that inspire a conversation. Like I, I'm on the record. I hate this movie, but I do <laughs> like talking about it. I like the conversation that it inspires and the different opinions that people bring to it. And I think that there is something of value to that. That doesn't necessarily mean that I value the movie, but I can value at least what the movie brings in terms of having a conversation, which I think, especially when it comes to big mainstream movies, is not something that we see very much anymore. No. Mm. I think, though, there is something to say about when, like, the discourse around a movie is more interesting than the movie itself. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, uh, with that said, uh, anybody else have anything left to say before we go? I had a great time talking about it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I got out of this movie on, like, Tuesday. I was like, God, now I have to wait so many days because no one I know has, like, seen it enough to sit down and have a talk. So it was great to sit down and everybody had so many different opinions. And I think for people who made it this far, like if you're upset with any of us, don't be. We all had really different things to say about it. And that's why movies are great. Mm -hmm. And I love how across the board we are. I know. I do too. I love that. Okay. Uh, With that said, uh, like I said, Danilo had to uh, hop off. uh, But if you want to follow him on Twitter, you can find him at Danilo S. Castro. Dan Bear, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Dan on film. Lauren LaMagna. You can find me on the Twitter at Lauren LaMango. Katie Schaefer. You can find me on Twitter at KT underscore Schaefer. Cody Derricks. You can find me everywhere at CodyMonster91. And where can they also find you? Oh, yeah, no, that is spooky season. Yeah. Horror movie podcast. <laughs> uh, Halloweeners. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Halloweeners Pod. And Josh Parham. And you can find me on Twitter at JR Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to our overstuffed review of The Joker here on the Next Best Picture podcast. I think the review is longer than the movie itself, now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> Uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, something positive would be nice. Five stars. Nothing else is acceptable in that regard. Uh, and also feel free to go on to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get some exclusive podcast content from us. We just did a review of The King of Comedy in anticipation for uh, Joker and for the Halloween season. We will be reviewing what we do in the shadows and a to-be-determined horror masterpiece voted on by you, the next Best Picture community, to be announced at a later date for Halloween. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.